Oh, uh, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Everybody has to be a little bit different. I like that. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Presented by GMC and the new Sierra AT4X. Welcome once again to 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Or should I say 32 Thoughts, the car cast? Yes, it's not even the playoffs. And Elliot is already licking the envelope and mailing it in. I'll just do it on the drive <laughs> home, says Elliot Friedman. I'm hungry, too. I want you to know that my stomach is growling. Yeah. I am playing herd tonight. This will be in the, the 32 drive through cast. Okay, so as we watch uh, Elliot order some fast food on the way home, this will be fascinating, folks. Uh, we got a lot to get to, and a lot includes an interview that we did uh, Wednesday evening with Jason Robertson of the Dallas Stars. Turned out we interviewed the wrong Robertson because Nick was the star on Thursday night. More on that in a couple of moments. Yep. But Elliot, let's start with the Vancouver Canucks, and you can't help but feel for them. Like you have to be the ultimate Vancouver Canucks hater to really relish in what the Vancouver Canucks are going through right now. Again, they lose. It's overtime against Minnesota. Kirill Kaprizov with heroics after Matt Zuccarello ties things up in the third and everybody says, "Uh uh-oh, this is really going to happen again. Over to the left wing side, Kaprizov. It's a four on three, 220 to go in overtime. Kaprizov, cross ice, Zuccarello waiting, waiting, trying to go short side. Demko the save, no whistle. Kaprizov, stick handling in a phone booth. Back to Zuccarello, right circle, a head fake, waiting, down low, Kaprizov. He's got a short side angle if he wants it. Fire one, it ricocheted back to him. No whistle, he's got an empty net, he scores! Elliot, it happened again. Your thoughts on Vancouver right now? Just a pure desperation hockey game. Minnesota needed the win too. Like the thing with um, Vancouver is Vancouver is on the road. Minnesota has been going through what they've been going through at home. Gord Stellick used to always have this thing he would say when he was in the front office of Toronto. If you're going to stink, stink on the road. Yeah. Like there were a lot of great games tonight. Obviously, I was primarily watching Toronto Dallas because I was working that game, but there were a lot of great games tonight. And I was glued to that wild Canucks game because here you are, you've got three, two teams. They're barely five games into the season, or not even five games into the season when the puck drops. And those two teams went at it like it was game 82 when they were fighting for a playoff berth. You could really feel how much that was on the line in that game. And it was punch, counter punch, and it was it was incredible to watch. And, you know, the one thing you see at the end of a big game like that is what are the reactions captured by the camera? And the look on Patterson's face, the look on the Canucks' face at the end of the game, they couldn't believe it. In this sport, and you know, Jeff, when you're in our shoes in our business, you root for people. Oh, yeah. And I don't like to see people lose for a long time. And whoever lost that game, I was looking at it and I was saying, as a human being, I am going to ache for the team that loses this game. And they cut to that shot of the bench and you could see the looks on some of the Canucks' faces. It's misery. I just, you know, Nick Kiprio said to me once, he says, losing sucks and that was embodied on the face 
of those Vancouver Canucks tonight. And, and I felt awful for them because they gave it their all. And you look at Myers, like the, the one thing the guy was really watching is Myers. Mm-hmm. Basically, he rushes back, Jeff, to join the team. So, you know, he's not 100 percent, but he's here saying they need me. I'm going to play. And, you know, he's the guy who takes the penalty in overtime that sets the man advantage up for the wild to win the game. And sometimes God is mean. <laughs> like God is mean and God was mean on that one for Tyler Myers. Just mean. Like I said off the top, I really feel bad for Vancouver. I feel bad for a lot of those players and the looks on those faces that you point out at the end of that game. Those weren't just looks. Those were stares. Some of them blank stares. Some of them stunned stares. Some of them stares where you're just looking off into the distance, hoping that something is going to appear, and it doesn't. And I was mentioning this to you on the radio, the Ian McIntyre piece at sportsnet.ca and the, the quotes from Jim Rutherford. And you can read these things a couple of different ways. On the one hand, you know, he's talking about, you know, if you squint really hard at the words, Elliot, it might look like he's taking a shot at Bruce Boudreaux by talking about playing the game the right way, playing with good habits. And reading that, you might look at that and say, hmm, okay, well, he wants a he wants a stronger structure coach in here. But then he follows it up with, I think, judging where a team is at after a five-game road trip would not be fair. We just have to build in the right direction. So there might be two sort of competing ideas, you know, arm wrestling right here, you know, this sort of wink to, you know, doing things the right way. I know this team and also resisting an urge that many may have to make a coaching decision here. I don't think he wants to do it. I think he he said it publicly that he didn't want to do it. And I've heard that he said it privately that he doesn't want to do it. That's one of the situations that's been, really on everyone's radar because it didn't look like, you know, we've talked about it. I don't need to go into it a lot. Vancouver wasn't sure they were going to go back with Boudreaux this year. And they looked into a couple things and ultimately they went back to it. And I think that's why everybody's kind of waiting for it in this case in particular. I do believe Jim Rutherford when he says he doesn't want to do it right now, because it's, it's, it's a failure for your organization. You know, people are saying, and, and when we did our last podcast this week, I got a call from someone, a guy who I, I really like, and he said, your podcast was kind of ghoulish today. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you're, you're, ta- you're talking about coaches getting fired and, and they've coached two or three games or four games. And I said, hey, I get it. I'm with you. I don't like talking about this stuff. I rather hate it. But the fact is that you know, this is kind of where we're going in some of these situations right now if they don't get turned around because the pressure is so tight. He said to me, well, nobody gets fired now. And I said, that's not true. Mm. You know, you go back to Peter Laviolette in Philadelphia. Denny Savard Savard in, in Chicago. Absolutely. And nobody wants to talk about this stuff. I mean, you are quite honestly a ghoul if you like talking about this stuff. But the fact is, it's it's on the radar. And I don't think Rutherford wants to do it. I don't think he does because I think he knows it reflects terribly on the organization if you have to do that this quickly. The, the one thing Vancouver has is they're going home. And maybe it settles you down. Maybe you find something. But it's not going to be easy because it's Thursday. They're playing their first game Saturday. And it's Buffalo who's looking really good to start the year. 
Yep. Man, I, I just feel for those Canucks. I don't know what else to say, but you can see a team that is grasping for answers and right now doesn't have any. How are you feeling about the New Jersey Devils right now after beating the New York Islanders 4-1? to one? And really, in a lot of ways, smothering the New York Islanders. 34 shots at Ilya Sorokin. Mackenzie Blackwood only had to face 14 shots, surrendering the lone goal. You know, they've won two games in a row here. And the last time we talked about the Devils, this would have been on the radio show, Elliot. One of the points was it was the big guys that were getting it done for New Jersey. Palat scores, Heischer scores, Hamilton and Mercer. And again, for the second game, Palat gets to Nico Heischer scores his second of the season and Jack Hughes gets his first. That's always a good sign when the big guys are coming through. Well, they also pounded the Islanders tonight right from puck drop. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things with the De- – and this is the toughest thing. The Devils withstood one of the toughest things. When that was happening with Ruff, and we talked about how much I hated to hear that because I have a personal affinity for Ruff. When it's your fans doing that, and again, I don't, I don't blame them. Fans are fans. They've earned the right to do what they want. That's hard to ride out. That's really hard to write out. And the Devils were trying to say, look, our underlying numbers, they're really good. They weren't getting saves, and you're not going to win if you're not getting saves. But they were trying to say, hey, our underlying numbers are really good. Well, now they're getting some saves. You know, I'll tell you, so I was in New York on Tuesday for the Board of Governors meeting, Jeff, and Mm -hmm. I was thinking about, do I go to the Islanders game on Tuesday night or do I go to the Devils on Tuesday night? And then we just got finished our work so late. I didn't get finished at the uh, at the hotel where the meeting was until almost 7 o'clock. I just decided I was going to go for dinner and watch. I started getting texts. You know, the Ducks go up one nothing on the Devils. And the Ducks go up 2 nothing on the Devils. And you start getting texts and you're like, oh, like, here you go. You know, is it going to happen? And as you said, their best players dragged them out of it. You look at all the guys that they've paid the money to. Dougie Hamilton made big plays. Andre Pallott made big plays. Jack Hughes made big plays. And he sure, Nico, he sure, Elliot, he sure. Yeah, he made big plays. Like if you have any chance of being successful in this league, when the times are down, your best players have to step up and drag you through. And that's exactly what happened. Again, the Devils, I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team, but they want to play meaningful games. The best thing I saw from them in the first week of the season is the red, black, and white Devils bus was in danger of going over the cliff. And there comes to a point where you can't sell the underlying numbers anymore. And their best players pulled them through. And uh, good on them because I think that says a lot about who you are as your team. Like in that moment, the Devils can say, okay, we could have a change and it's not going to be on us. No, 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 no. They weren't doing that. They pulled them through. That's funny you say that the way you do about underlying numbers in that conversation. I was talking to someone from one team that is uh, very, very invested in analytics, and I was trying to raise that point, and the the person stopped me and said, that's all well and good, but at a certain point, life begins. Yes. And I'll never forget that line. That's well and good. At a certain point, life begins. Let's talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs and specifically talk about Nick Robertson. And again, I'll remind you, 
we'll have the other Robertson a little bit later on. Elliot and I yes. uh, sat down with Jason Robertson on Wednesday night, and we'll present uh, a good part of that interview for you today. What a wonderful night for Nick Robertson. Parents in the stands. Uh, his first game this season comes through. Two goals, including the game winner. A pass for Robertson. Brought to center. Robertson over the line, dropping it back. Another shot. He scores! We all know what the Maple Leafs have come off of that horrible loss against the Arizona Coyotes and the subsequent controversy slash drama slash, you know, um, you know, high school locker room talk between coaches and players and media and fans. It's been a week um, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. How did you see Thursday night's win against the Dallas Stars? This was a case where God was not mean when it came to Nick Robertson. God was just and God was fair. Ooh. Okay. Nick Robertson deserved to make the Toronto Maple Leafs this year. Yes. One, one of the things that I don't think is right is when people are rewarded or people lose out because of contract status or we're paying too much money to do this. Nick Robertson deserved to make the Toronto Maple Leafs opening night roster, but he didn't for numbers and cap reasons. Now, it never lasts. Something always happens. Someone gets hurt. Something happens. And Matt Murray got injured, and it gave Nick Robertson the opportunity. The worst segment we do at Sportsnet is burning questions. I hate it. I cannot stand doing it. We do it on with Leaf Regionals. It's David Amber's idea, so you already know it's terrible. But he makes uh, Anthony and myself answer uh, these questions. And one of the questions in the game on Thursday was, who's the right fit with Tavares and Nylander? And my answer was, they hope it's Nick Robertson. Well, tonight was his opportunity to show. And he did. And it's not only about the goals. Ultimately, he's paid to score. If Nick Robertson's going to be successful, he's going to have to score. But... I thought the defensive play in overtime, and if, for those of you who didn't see it, Jamie Benn is coming in on him in overtime, and Jamie Benn sees this is a def- not a defenseman. This is Nick Robertson, and he goes to make a move, and uh, Jeff, you can tell me if you disagree. I thought that kid was beat. I thought Ben had him when he pulled the move on him, and he recovered and he knocked the puck away. It's incredible. I thought from from the get-go, anytime a forward sees another forward defending, their eyes get huge. And you you, you say to yourself, okay, watch this. He's going to show you why forwards don't play defense or forwards get burned when they when they try to play defense. But I thought it was a I thought it was a hell of a play by Nick Robertson. Like it was one of those games where the goals are going to be the headline, but if you ask the coach, Elliot, the play that you just discussed, that's going to be the one that Sheldon Keefe takes away. Yes, it was a great performance by him. And this was a huge win for Toronto. Again, I thought they didn't play very well at the start. I thought they kind of slept walked through the first period. And I don't know if the officials felt bad that they missed the Matthews getting hurt in the first. But then all of a sudden, the power play started coming. They got four in the second. I think they got eight for the game. And Toronto feeds off that power play. And they scored on it, and they got going. You know, Matthews, for a guy who didn't score, 
He played 27 minutes. Block shots. And I thought he played, played block shots, which hurt him too. He got mugged a little bit, which is what happens when you're the best player. And he just kept going. When you think of an elite Austin Matthews game, we all think of him scoring four goals or something like that because that's what he does. Yeah. I thought this was an elite Austin Matthews game because Dallas was all over him. They're a tough team, and he didn't back down, and he kept playing. I thought he was excellent, and I thought their D was really good on a night where their D looked pretty thin. You were at the rink this morning, uh, yeah. and you worked the game tonight. How many, because there are plenty of players on Dallas from Ontario, Yeah. how many guys were playing free hockey tonight, i.e. they spent all their money on tickets? Less than you'd think. What Wedgwood was, he bought 13 tickets. And the other thing that one of the guys reminded me was, is not only do you have to buy tickets, but you have to put money on the board. So you're almost at a deficit. So Wedgwood, I know, bought 13 tickets. Now, Delandria and Wyatt Johnston, they had 50 passes, but they're, apparently their teammates were very generous to them. Good. So they got a lot of tickets, or they didn't have to buy any. They said either their relatives got them or their teammates gave them up. I think Sagan had to buy a bit. So at least one, potentially more, but not as much as you would have thought. Speaking of Sagan, great line with uh, Sean McKenzie. It's nice to win here. <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't happen for them tonight. Can we talk about this? Sure. About I want to talk about this whole Toronto thing a little bit. Okay. Are you not annoyed by it by now about it though, Elliot? <laughs> I, I I am. I mean, that was a huge win for them. Yep. But I just don't understand why Keith felt the need to, like, if anything he said, I thought that was over the line. It was basically just saying that Arizona had no elite talent. It's such a different game than anything. Even in preseason, you don't play games like that where you have the puck that much. We didn't adapt. We didn't score special teams. So um, it's an area to improve. I know there's a lot of areas to improve. You're only four games in. The guys haven't found the rhythm. Our best people have not found the rhythm. So maybe really look at it. The difference between us and Arizona is that we have elite players. And our elite players didn't play like elite players today. Didn't Couldn't make a difference. So in that sense, the game is going to be close. Just... <laughs> like generally the rule is you don't talk about the other team. Leave them out of it. That was the part I said he's going to end up apologizing for. <laughs> hey, Clayton Keller, here's one for you from the Leafs coach. <laughs> but, but to say the elite talent, the elite players haven't been good yeah. enough. I don't understand why a coach feels the need to back off or apologize or, or clarify that kind of a comment. I, I don't understand it. I use some of the wrong words to, to try to, you know, describe what I was trying to describe, which is that in the difference in the game, I find is just, we weren't able to produce, you know, whether it's power player five on five. And, uh, that's, that's really the difference, you know, with all the puck time we had and everything like that. But, by, by no means was I meaning anything anything beyond that, which is what I wanted them to be to be sure of. And as it turned out, they didn't know what I was talking about, but um, which is a good thing. But um, at the same time, important that that they know where I was coming from. Maybe I'm just desensitized because of all the stuff people call me on social media, but that wouldn't <laughs> bother me. And the other thing too is I worry it weakens the coach. You can't do it a lot and. Like the shots of Dubas tonight on the um, the goal that was Don't read the lips. overturn. Yeah, oh. but that's fine. Like you could see the tension on him too. Like it's tense around there. They feel it. 
By the way, you know when you could tell something was up and Dubas knew it right away? There's a certain period of time that you know when the video review is starting to get uncomfortably long. It's not yes. going not going to go your way. And the camera was tight on Dubas. And you can tell he knows the longer this goes, the better chance it's going against the Maple Leafs right away. Because you could see with the hands up in the air, you could see it. A lawyer friend of mine told me that years ago that when it comes to jury cases, that you know going in who's got the better case, him or the person he's arguing against. And the longer a jury deliberation goes, the more that the person who felt they had the weaker case feels confident yep. and the worse the person who had the stronger case feels. And that's exactly what happened. Now, I will say this tonight. I thought that was the right call. If they would have said that was no goal, then I don't think you can have battles in front of the net. Mm -hmm. And Kelly Forbes in Dallas, their video coach, yeah. If he calls for a review, he always wins. So I said they're going to win. Dallas Stars put out a nice tweet, by the way, about that. That was a real nice touch, um, getting that out but, there. But anyway, as we were saying, I just didn't understand why Keith had to apologize or clarify or withdraw that. You can't say our elite players haven't been good yet. I mean, what are we coming to here? I don't think you can do it a lot, and I don't think mm -hmm. you can take personal shots at your own guys necessarily. But to say that our, our best players haven't been good enough yet, like that's something that we have to back away from. I, I don't get it. Now, I have a theory. Okay. And What's the theory? Like, I don't think Matthews is bothered by this stuff. He, sh he shakes it off. The player who made the most comment about it on the day off was, was Marner. Obviously, it takes a little bit to get everything going, but uh, I think we feel good with where we are. I mean... Um, a lot of stuff happens behind these doors when you guys aren't here and when fans aren't here. So um, we talk about all that stuff. We know what you know, we need to do to be successful. When you hear the coach say his elite players are the elite players, what goes through your mind? Uh, like I said, I talked to him today. He, he explained what he meant to say and how it came out and everything like that. And um, I'll leave it at that. But, you know, um, like I said, we have closed doors here for a reason and we have talks without you guys for a reason. So um, we had that talk today. And, you know, we understand we're, we're grown men. You know, somebody said to me what I, I said in the broadcast, they thought I was taking a shot at Marner. I'm not taking a shot at Marner. But what I am saying is that I think you have to understand who can handle that and who can't. And Marner, as we've seen in the playoffs, when the pressure really gets going, it's not that he doesn't want to win. It's just that he tenses up. And I wonder if it was like, we just want Marner to be comfortable. And in that case, I understand because you do have to create an environment where your players can be successful. But still, overall, I don't think if Keith does that maybe once or twice a year, that it's something he should have to walk back from. I, I, I don't agree with that. You can tell me what you think. I'm with you. I don't think that Sheldon Keefe had to walk anything back, but then I always check myself and say, okay, well, how are you raised? What do you expect out of coaches? How do you expect, how do you expect people in authority around you to behave? And I keep coming back to the same thing now more so than ever before. And this isn't just exclusive to hockey. This isn't even exclusive to sports. This is education systems. This is workplaces. <sighs> 
it's really hard to treat every single person the exact same way because everybody has a different background. Yep. Everything has different things that will set them off. Like to your point about Austin Matthews, I agree. I don't know that anything bothers. Like I'm sure there are things, but I see him, whether it's him rolling his eyes at things or just like getting annoyed at the pettiness of stuff like he does not get bothered and he continues to put himself out there. Sometimes he gets Curtis. I don't get the sense that he cares at all, but not everybody is Austin Matthews. Yeah. So I do believe that I, I understand that you can't treat everybody the same. And when you say something as big as what Sheldon Keefe did, I think the majority of players are going to say, okay, that's legit. We had to eat that one. He's, you know, the coach has got a point. And there are some players that might get their backs up about it. That's all. Mm. All I'm saying is it doesn't surprise me. What's the room like? The coach says the same thing in front of everybody. 60% of the team might go, okay, we deserve that. And the other 40% will walk out and go, well, who the F does that guy think he is? And it's the same quote. That's kind of how I looked at this one. And maybe that was just the coach trying to say like, you know what? I need to try to manage everybody here. If we're going to do anything, we all know what's happened in the playoffs. We all know the story of this team. We all know what's at stake for the Maple Leafs this year at every single level. I can't just say, well, the majority of guys are with me. If I'm Sheldon Keefe, I need an overwhelming majority with me, and I can't lose anybody. And I wonder if that was in the back of his mind. Before we wrap up on Toronto, just wanted to send the best to Jake Muzz. Absolutely. I, I just have a feeling this is going to be a while. And like, I don't think they're going to rush into any decisions here, and which is the smart thing. But I think if you're the Maple Leafs, you do have to be preparing for the possibility that you might not get them back this season. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying it will happen that way. I'm not saying it won't happen that way. But I think if you're the Maple Leafs, you do have to at least prepare for the possibility and just want to wish them the best. That's three in the last 12 months. Yeah. And I think everybody here is going to be careful. John Tavares is the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But when you talk to players, when you listen to players, when you observe players, do you not get the sense that in some way as well, Jake Muzzin has been the captain oh, of this yeah. team? Huge. Especially in, in a social way. Mm -hmm. I think he has a big, big impact on the social nature of the, of the group. Yes, I think that's very true. From all of us wishing him well. So, Jeff, before we take the break, yep. there is one other person I want to mention, and that is Jacob Vrana. Yes. And you'll remember that when we went to France before the season, we did an interview with Jacob Vrana that was very fun. He talked about being the only Red Wing to live downtown. We got a lot of notes, or at least I did. I don't know if you did or not. People loved it. About how fun Vrana seemed to be. Yeah. Now, there's always some things that you look at and you say with history, you look at a bit differently than when they initially happened. And Vrana showed up to that interview and uh, like his hair was all over the place. His suit was a bit disheveled. And I mean, you've seen me on air. I like to be disheveled. So none of that <laughs> phased me at all. And some people, you know, joke that he came right from being out to come do the interviews. And we don't even know if that's true, but we joked about it with him at one point. And now, obviously, you feel very differently about it, uh, hearing that he has gone to get some help. 
And, you know, I, I just want to say that uh, this is a young man who I want to wish the best to. I did get one DM in particular from someone saying that he remembered the interview, which he really loved. And he says, do you think about it differently now? And I wrote him back and I said, I, I think about it quite a bit. So, you know, I, I just think I remember, you know, I was a young man like Vranna was around 25. And, uh, you know, I like to have a good time. And there were there times I said, you've got to calm down a little bit or, or you've got to go a little bit easier. Yes. I never got to the point where I thought I needed help. But I recognize now that obviously he does. And, you know, I, I've really liked my dealings with him over the time and I wish him the best. But I just wanted to say, Jeff, that when I heard he was going into for getting into the program to get help. I thought a lot about our interview mm -hmm. and as fun as he was and as playful as, as he was, and as everyone, much everyone liked that interview. I can't help but think of it a little bit differently now, just because you're wondering, you know, Hey, that was just two months ago. What was Jacob Vrana going through? You know, how was he feeling? Was he in a tough place at that time? So, you know, I just wanted to acknowledge that I've thought about it a lot and the two days since the announcement was made and, you know, he's a young man that made the bold step to get help. I just hope he gets the help and he comes back and he lights it up and plays great for the Red Wings and himself. And the fact that he's gone to get help uh, should be applauded and encouraged. If there's anyone listening to this podcast right now that finds themselves in a similar situation, I uh, I hope you do the same. And for Jacob Verana, like to your point, when I first saw the news, that was the first thing I thought of is us, you know, yucking it up about, oh, you're out all late. Well, yeah, ha, ha, like. To be honest with you, Freed, I, I felt pretty bad. I mean, you don't know, and you're just like, okay, like I stayed out plenty of nights all night long, and, and you did too, and probably Amel did as well. Well, that was the point I was making, that I wasn't laughing at him because I did things like that myself all the time. Yeah. All the time. I'm really glad that he's he's going to get help. I'm glad the NHL and the Players Association provide this um, for players. I just hope that when Jacob Verana comes back, because getting the help is part of it, I really hope that Jacob Verana has a good support staff around him and friends around him that will support him and friends around him that may have been party friends that can now say to themselves, I need to be a real friend and not just a party yeah. friend for Jacob Verana. All I'm saying is I hope when he comes back that there is a, a cradle of friendship that he can be welcomed back into. I just hope he gets healthy and hope he gets well. The hockey is secondary. Yeah. Like you, Elliot, all the best to Jacob Verana and his family and his friends. You know, Jeff, the other thing I'd like to say is there's a big debate about whether or not these announcements should be made. Okay. And I understand everybody's position on it. I think the worst thing is, you know, he's on the non-roster list for a couple of days and then there's speculation, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think the speculation is worse than the truth because in this day and age, and, and we see this in a lot of different stories, you know, reporters won't report on the speculation. So it goes wild on social media and the internet. I actually think it's better that, you come out and say, this is what it is. And the other thing is, I understand people might get embarrassed that they need the help, but I think the vast majority of people right now look at it like you have no reason to be embarrassed. Yeah. I think we've come a, lo way, a long way in a long time. The first thing should be help. 
And I think that that's what the league and the players association recognize. Like Oliver Shillington is going through a tough time too. You know, they say he's going to get help for whatever it is he needs. And people are like, okay, we get that. I understand people value their privacy. And to be perfectly honest, last year, I missed a couple of shows or I missed one show. And then I kind of went off Twitter for a week and I had to announce that I had COVID and that's the reason I was kind of shutting down. And I didn't like that. I had to do that. I actually waited for a while and then I did it. But, you know, I I think nowadays it's better than the alternative Mm -hmm. and people understand they just do. I don't think anybody should say that you don't want to make the announcement to prevent embarrassment. I don't think that's the message we should be sending anymore. When you make that public, you help someone else. This isn't just about you at that point. You're making it easier for someone else to say, you know what? I need help too. I think we need to all keep that in mind. When you're saying that publicly, what you're doing is something for yourself and something for someone else. Still to come on the podcast, we'll talk to Jason Robertson. Well, we'll broadcast our interview with Jason Robertson. That occurred on Wednesday evening. Um, And we're going to get to the Montreal Canadiens and the San Jose Sharks here in a second. But first, I'd like to remind you, if you want to get 32 Thoughts merchandise, I highly recommend the hipster line, fresh off the runways of Stouffville, Ontario, Elliot. I was wearing that yesterday. <laughs> and make sure you're wearing your wedding ring at the same time when you wear all that, because, you know, sometimes. Visit our, our Sportsnet store at www.shopsportsnet.store slash collections slash 32 hyphen thoughts. The link is in the show notes. Uh, get your 32 thoughts merch while we still have it. Okay, the Montreal Canadiens beat the Arizona Coyotes. Couple of things in this one. One, Yuri Slavkovsky scores his first goal. Turnover here, Slavkovsky scores! First in the National League, Yuri Slavkovsky. And then barks at Josh Brown, who took a run at him a couple of seconds before he scored. Oh, that was awesome. Great visual, so cool. Oh, and he's giving it to... Brown after the hit, and there was the play right there. Lepkowski comes right down the pipe. The Coyotes, again, poor management of the puck, and this is the forechecking pressure of the Montreal Canadiens. That's a defenseman that comes all the way down and lays the hit on Brown. Your guy, Arbor Jackeye, throwing down with Zach Cassian. 41 a game, and we got a tilt. It's going to be Cassian. Yeah, Cassian's going with... Uh... Arbor Jackeye, the young defenseman. Oh man, they're throwing some bombs. Oh my. Jackeye, I had no idea. This this is the guy they call Wi-Fi. If you look at the pronunciation of his name, you'll know why. And he has got the crowd juiced up in this one. Jack Cassian's gonna go to the Coyotes dressing room. He's looking at his hand. And indicating that the young guys aren't just about skill and edge work. They're also about, you know, snapping mitts and throwing knuckles. I have to tell you, when that fight started, I turned to Anthony and I were looking at each other 
And I said, I don't know if Jack I should be fighting this guy. Yeah. And boy, did, was that a bad prediction? <laughs> you know what was what was a better prediction was Montreal by a thousand because Arizona. Yeah, you called it. Was there for two days? Extra day in Montreal never works out well. The thing is, is you know you're, you're trying to grow together and build a culture, and you know Jack is going to have nights where that's going to happen to him, but that fight and then. You know, he went after Brown on that play where Slavkovsky scored. Yes, he did. Yep. And seeing those two guys sit next to each other and smiling on the bench, like, that's huge. Those are two young guys. Like, Slavkovsky's a franchise cornerstone, you hope. And Jack Eye is a piece of gold found in a river. And Jack Eye is a Grand Slam home run out of nowhere. Potentially. And he's a cult favorite in Montreal. He's a cult favorite. But now you're looking at it and you're saying, like, here's these two guys who are both rookies. One we think is going to be a cornerstone. One suddenly we're hoping is going to be a cornerstone. And they're smiling together on the bench on a play that's going to bond them forever. Mm -hmm. You hope, right? You can't imagine a better dream scenario if you're Montreal than what happened on that play. You, you know what? Hang on. You know what Jack Eye is? What's that? Here's what Jack Eye is from Montreal. You know when you go into your drawer and you pull out a pair of pants that you haven't worn for a while mm-hmm. and you reach in your front pocket and there's 50 bucks? That's what Arbor Jack Eye is for the Montreal Canadiens. Whoa. That's a I didn't know we had. I don't, came up with. didn't know we had yes. 50 bucks in there. This is awesome. That's what he is. Yeah. He's a $50 bill and a pair of pants you haven't worn for a long time. I agree with you, Jeff. That's a better analogy than I came with. I, I have to give you credit on that. And the other thing about this is, is that we're all talking, you know, who's going to win the Bedard lottery this year. Mm-hmm. You know, Arizona's in it. Montreal sent a message tonight that they might be in it, but competing hard to win games is more important for them. They took advantage of an Arizona team, like like I said, that was in Montreal for two days, and they blew them out of the building right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And Slavkovsky scores, and, and Suzuki with that ridiculous Datsukian move on the penalty shot. Well, the captain of the Montreal Canadiens is going to go to work, and they're on their feet at the Bell Center. All right, here we go. Penalty shot, Suzuki, as he goes wide in on Connor Ingram. And Suzuki scores. Oh, my. Kids at home, this is absolutely gross. What a set of mitts on Nick Suzuki. Yeah, he's good. There was none of this, no, 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 we're not playing to win this game. They went out there to pound them. Now, they sent a message tonight, we're better than this team, and we want to be seen as better than this team. And I think that's really interesting when you're trying to build yourself up. And before we go to San Jose, we should mention Chikrin, as we talked about, he's joining them. Yep. I hear that's starting to heat up a bit. Well, I mean, everybody has injured defensemen. <laughs> it's no surprise. Like, And I still don't think it's going to be Ottawa. I still think it's unlikely. But somebody called me today and said that one is starting to heat up a little bit. Okay. Let's, uh, we'll get, those trade talks all spiced up. You mentioned the Bedard lottery a second ago, and at the beginning of the season we said, okay, we know what the program is here for Arizona. Uh, We know what's happening in Chicago, and 
You know, the San Jose Sharks open up with five losses in a row. They end up winning a big one on Thursday night. Uh, Eric Carlson ends it in overtime. 3-2 is the final score. The San Jose Sharks pick up their first win. Your thoughts on the Teal team? First of all, those uniforms look phenomenal. Oh, yes, they do. I was watching them tonight. I said, I cannot believe how good these things look. We talked earlier about New Jersey yep. and how they were going off the cliff and they and their best players pulled them back. So this was a game tonight in New York. You're winless. You've had some bad performances, but you know this one means a lot for your coach. I think I've told this story before, but back when I covered the Raptors, remember when Antonio Davis was traded from Indiana to Toronto, their first game back in Indiana, they stunk. And Butch Carter was coaching the Raptors at the time, and he went wild. He said, this game mattered to our teammate here, and we were terrible. And what that said to me was that the Sharks recognized, okay, we're not going really well, but this game matters to our coach. And you know what happened, too, was when David Quinn got hired, a lot of people made fun of that hire. They ripped that hire. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was because of, you know, what he did in New York. And I thought it was really interesting how a lot of the people with the Rangers, including some of the young players, like Zabinijad had some really thoughtful things to say about David Quinn coaching in a rebuild versus now they're trying to win, right? Mm -hmm. And how it's not fair to sort of evaluate those things on the same level. I thought it was really thoughtful by Zabinijad. Anyway this is kind of a rebuild for the sharks. Those players came out and they said, we're battling for this guy tonight. And to lose is one thing, but they played hard. They looked like they were going to get blown out of the building in the second period. I think they're the worst second period team in the league. And they found a way to get back and win that game. That said a lot to me about that team because they could have packed that one in too. I like Eric Carlson a lot. I know he's not the same Eric Carlson. We all know that. But every now and then, like that finishing play, like that was Eric Carlson willing that goal. And it's a nice play by Meyer behind the net to, to get the feed to him after a marvelous play by, by Eric Carlson to get it there. That was like a glimpse of what Carlson used to be. You know what I mean, Fridge? Yes. Like that was like, okay, that's how I want to remember Eric Carlson, I know we're not going to get 82 games of that Eric Carlson ever again, but the nice thing about it is every now and then we're going to get a glimpse of what's uh, of what Eric Carlson used to be. All right, Elliot, before we get to Jason Robertson, a couple of quickies here. Uh, the Heat's off in Ottawa, right? They've won a couple of games now, and you know maybe we look at Washington and sort of raise an eyebrow and look sideways, but all is good in the Canadian capital. I was never worried that the Heat was too on there. I didn't think it was the same, but that team can score now. You know, seven against Boston, and they fell behind 2 nothing against Washington and, and blew them out. I'm concerned for Washington. They're not getting Wilson back for a while. They're not getting Backstrom back for a while. Yeah, It sounds like they're really concerned about how much time Connor Brown's going to be out. I just wonder if the Capitals have enough. But I thought that was... A big week for Ottawa just to stabilize themselves and keep the goodwill going. But I have to tell you, Jeff, the team I'm I, one of the teams I've really been impressed with is Buffalo. 
Darlene sets an NHL record. First defenseman to score in four consecutive games to start the year. Gains the offensive zone. Pass across. Paterka fading away from there the shot is. in front. There it is. NHL history for Rasmus Darlene. As he gets his fourth goal in four straight games to start the season. The only defenseman in NHL history to accomplish that. And it gives Buffalo a 2-1 to lead. They win in Edmonton, although Comrie stoned them. They win in Calgary. You know, that's not going to be an easy team waiting for Vancouver in Vancouver when the Canucks get home. But, boy, I, I got to tell you, I don't know which of these teams are going to have staying power. Ottawa, Buffalo, Detroit, who it's going to be. But they're going to make it interesting, and, and I really like it. And, and, Jeff, also, just what a week for the league with all the comebacks. Mm-hmm. This league is better when teams decide they don't want to protect leads. They're just like, nah, we're, we're going to let teams come back into games. I know coaches hate it, but the league is more entertaining <laughs> that way. It is. And if I can add one thing to the Buffalo Sabres as well, like, listen, Darlene, we talked about breakout players at the beginning of the season, and we talked a lot about Tim Stutzla, for example, and for good reason. That guy's fantastic. Man, Rasmus Dahlin, as much as everyone is talking about Owen Power, this is Rasmus Dahlin, who was a first overall draft pick himself, saying, hold on a second here. I'm the next big defenseman that everybody's going to start talking about. He's been flat out amazing. And, Elliot, you see last weekend when he snowed Josh Norris in the face? Uh, Yes. Like, Norris is down in the corner. He skates over deliberately to him and snows him. Did you ever think you'd see Rasmus Dahlin do that? Because he did. You know, Anthony and I were talking about this tonight off camera. Yeah. Hockey's changed a lot. You know, with what we've learned about concussions and things like that, there shouldn't be as much fighting as there used to be. But this is still a mean game. Mm -hmm. And intimidation still matters. There's two things there. I think intimidation matters and also... Having the ability to not be intimidated is huge as well. Yes. Like we're, we're all thinking about Borea Salming right now and what Borea Salming is going through. I know, Elliot, he was one of, if not maybe your favorite player of all time. Yeah. And whenever I think of players refusing to be intimidated, I think of Borea Salming and I think of players like him. That to me is a skill, much like we consider skating and shooting and puck handling all of it because it is nasty and players will try to intimidate you that is part of it if you can get an edge by intimidating someone you take it Mm -hmm. in this game that's a history of it that's why i've always felt like always elliot the most underappreciated skill you can have is the ability to not be intimidated solving was the ultimate the ultimate in this like he's number one so far number one there's not even a number two there's a whole bunch of number threes but I've always thought that that's a really incredible skill for someone to have. I agree. Especially in this game right now. One player I do want to mention with Buffalo, just to get his name out there, and we talk about a lot of players of the Buffalo Sabres, Alex Tuck has four goals. And now Tuck will pick it up, skate it out to center, shoot to the empty net, and score. Alex Tuck with his third goal of the hockey game. And that will just about ice it for the Sabres. That Eichel trade, getting Alex Tuck in that deal, that was a really good bit of business by Kevin Adams. Don't disagree. And I'll, I'll tell you something else that's interesting in Buffalo right now is Jack Quinn didn't play on Thursday. 
And I think the hope was, like, after he sat out a game that he might get back in. But what that says to me is the Sabres are kind of looking at it. Yes, we've got to develop, but we also want to start, see if we can build some momentum. Can we turn this into a giant snowball of momentum? That's interesting to me. Buffalo wants to be in the race. Mm -hmm. They want to be in the race. And if you don't already know the name, get to know J.J. Paterka. Yeah. They're expecting big things of him in that he organization. He sure can. Back yeah. to Evan Bouchard can go in behind the net, find some room on the right, goes up the middle. He's got McLeod. Now to Nugent, Nugent Hopkins in over the line. Back to McLeod. Scores! Ryan McLeod! He goes five hole on Anderson! There were a lot of great highlights in that Carolina-Edmonton game. My favorite, the Ryan McLeod shorty on a beautiful play Oof. by Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Just a filthy play, right, Freege? And you can't help but wondering, A, is that a Stanley Cup preview? And B, if it is, let's just hope it goes seven. That was a flat-out fun game. That was a great game. A lot of skills. Svechnikov, three goals. Mm-hmm. The thing about that one is I, I picked it to be the Stanley Cup with my crazy rule that you couldn't pick either Colorado or Tampa. So I think it's a Stanley Cup preview if the NHL goes with the rule. Tampa and Colorado are not allowed to go. Oh, yeah. They, they're all about, like, whoever's third place. Like, yeah, third place in each conference. Yeah, you guys compete for the Cup. Yeah, that, that's that's good, good thinking. Jeff, one of the things I was thinking about watching that game is and it's something that I'm thinking about more and more. How many truly great goalies are there in this league? Mm-mm. This league is Mm-mm. becoming about now. Mm-mm. This league is becoming about now. Just make one more save than the other guy. You don't need to stand on your head. Just please, God, make one more save than the other guy. That's what the NHL is turning into. It's funny, Elliot. I've thought about this a while and I've arrived at the place now with goaltenders. And this is what makes goalies like Vasilevsky and Shesterkin such freaks. Okay. Once upon a time, I think you could legitimately say our goalie stole the game. And listen, every now and then a goalie can steal a game. It is so rare. But I think what we're seeing now is the most you can ask for goalies is to steal a period or maybe two. Like growing up, goalies would steal games all the time, right, Fridge? Even getting into our 20s and 30s, goalies would steal games. Goalies don't steal games anymore. And the ones that do, you hold on to. Those goaltenders are sacred. Those are the ones that I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. But around the around the the rest of the league, hey man, the best we can expect, save a period, maybe save two. I think it's even different than that. It's not so much save a period. Just make one more save than the other guy. Hmm. Braden Holtby. I always think of Braden Holtby. And his way of looking at it was the Mitch Korn way. There's three kinds of goals you give up. Didn't have a chance. Maybe should have had it. And should never let that go in. That's a bad goal. I think that more and more goalies are going to be graded on how many bad goals do you give up? Hmm. Like Vasilevsky, another world. That guy's different. Oh, yeah. Hellebuck? Yep. I think that guy is different. Price, at his best, that guy was different. But how many other goalies are getting graded like those guys anymore? Shusterkin. 
Shesterkin is another example. He's on another level. I think Sorokin has Sorokin a is to get right there. there. Sorokin, but he's I think not is there right yet. There. No, but not he's there right yet. there. He's right there. And I, I do believe Markstrom. I, I think is on the higher tier, although he got chased again tonight. I think Demko has a chance to get there, but really, how many guys are like that? So, did you look at that Carolina? Edmonton game, which, by the way, was the battle of two former Toronto Maple Leaf goaltenders, Frederick Anderson and, and Jack Campbell. Did you look at that one and say that that was Campbell outdueling Anderson? Like, did it have that feel to you? It comes down to it. Campbell made one more save. That's the difference. Campbell made one more save. Technically, it was five. <laughs> Yeah, 28 to 23. I know what you mean. (laughs) Thanks, Captain Matt. (laughs) I know what you mean. But while we're being Pacific here in the Atlantic, like, let's say right. That's what this league is going to turn into. Uh, It's if you don't have one of those nuclear weapons, just give me one more save. Yeah. Now, Jeff, before we get to our interview, what were you doing on Thursday night? Oh, I was at uh, Stovall Arena dropping the puck for the uh, the Stovall Spirit and the Oakville Blades. Now, do you think that they invited you be- to drop the puck there? Because on the last podcast, we took a question from another, Jeff from Stovall, <laughs> and they wanted you to know that you are still the preeminent still the- Jeff from Stovall. Not this other guy. This is so I was approached about a month and a half ago. So what, when I moved up here, um, you know, one of the first people I talked to was was Kenny Burroughs. So Kenny's the general manager of the Stoville Spirit, you know, legend in in tier two, you know, OJHL hockey, and got to know Kenny really well. We work out at the same gym. A lot of the Spirit kids work out at the same gym that I do. And he just called me and said, "Hey, how do you feel about you know?" dropping a puck for before one of our games what we'll do is we'll you know you tell us what charity you want to support and for the whole month we'll you know proceeds from our 50 50 will go to your charity of choice and i can't turn that up first of all i never dropped the puck at a hockey game before and that's really cool and they let me bring my kids on the ice to drop pucks so there were four pucks that were dropped uh which was cool so tj brody joe everyone got to drop a puck with dad so really cool dad moment there and uh nice it was fun uh, stovo spirit won the game five three uh, Rob Corte, who's one of our bosses, his son Zach plays on the team, number 21, a patrolling winger, uh, really having a Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds draft pick. He's had a really nice season for Stouffville. So anytime I can do two things, anytime I can you know, help out a charity, and the charity of my choice is Team Dog Rescue. Um, I have them linked on my uh, on my latest post on, on Instagram. We've done a lot of work with uh, with Team Dog Rescue uh, we fostered dogs, our family, we've, uh, adopted dogs. Um, you know, my wife and I will probably do that for, you know, uh, the, the rest of our lives. So anytime I can raise money for team dog rescue, I do. And anytime Kenny Burroughs wants, uh, something for the Stovall spirit, I will, I will always answer that call. Great kids, great organization, and a lot of fun. Thanks to Kenny Burroughs and, you know, everybody with the, uh, the Stovall spirit, including, the legendary Lorna Burroughs, who has been at it from day one and doesn't miss a game. Anyway, a lot of fun on Thursday. Congratulations, bud. Nice job. So, Elliot, you and I had a chance to speak with Jason Robertson uh, one day in advance of the Dallas Stars facing off uh, against the Toronto Maple Leafs. And one of the great stories about Jason Robertson is, you know, he played for the Kingston Frontenacs in the OHL. And his final season, he was traded to the Niagara Ice Dogs. And when he went back 
to Kingston. You know how they do the big, you know, welcome back video because he was a fantastic player for the Kingston Frontenacs. Uh, they do the tribute video. The problem when they did the tribute video for Jason Robertson, he had just taken a minor penalty, so he was in the penalty box. Have you ever seen a player waving to the crowd from the penalty box as the welcome back video was playing? That was Jason Robertson on his return to Kingston. I know his brother Nick was the big story on Thursday, and the joke that we had in our group chat was, boy, we interviewed the wrong Robertson, but I really enjoyed this talk with Jason. Before we uh, begin the interview, I wanted to thank Joe Calvillo of the Dallas Stars. They're Big in time. the media relations department. So just to explain what was going on here, uh, we interviewed Robertson at the team hotel and they didn't have any. Normally we would do it in a banquet room or something like that, boardroom. Uh, a boardroom or a meeting room or whatever. And they didn't have one available. They were all booked up. So we needed a hotel room to do it in. They get there after long ride in Toronto traffic from the airport and he can't even unpack in his room because we're sitting in it. So I just <laughs> wanted to say thank you very much to Joe for letting us do that yeah. because I'm sure the last thing he wanted to do was just sit there waiting for us to finish interviewing Jason Robertson. He was uh, he had dinner reservations at a uh, one of the more renowned oyster bars in Toronto and I'm I'm watching Joe while we're doing the interview, and he's very gracious and a, and a real gentleman and a, and a wonderful guy. But I, I can kind of tell, like, okay, we're really going on here. And, you know, Joe's probably got his tongue hanging out now. We're getting a little bit deeper into the evening. We might want to wrap up the interview with Jason and let, uh, let Joe get his uh, dinner. Nonetheless, uh, hope you enjoy listening to this interview with Jason Robertson as much as we enjoyed talking to this outstanding hockey player. So here he is, Jason Robertson. The Dallas Stars on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Ah, Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32 Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much else really to look forward to. Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's daily deals. Their chicken wings are double dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish, and... They're half price on Mondays. Uh, half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them. Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday. The only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. First of all, Jason, thanks so much for joining us. I'm curious what it's like to be you right now. New contract new coach. You're playing great. How's life for Jason Robertson right now? Well, it's a bit of a whirlwind. Um, you know, I've only been with the team for like two weeks now. Yeah. So it's everything kind of happening real quick. Now you're playing games and uh, not just that. I'm in Toronto. You know, it was, it's kind of weird. It's my first NHL game about almost, almost three years ago, two and a half years ago. So that's kind of exciting. And you know, it's our only second road game and, you know, we're already in Toronto and I know a lot of people around here and they're going to come see it. So it's a little bit different and it's exciting right now, you know, especially we've won the past three games, right? We started off strong. So it's definitely a lot of positives. So it's it's great to, to start the season on a good note. You mentioned as we record this, you've only played the three games, uh, the two games against Nashville uh, and then the game Monday against Winnipeg. But you guys look really good and it looks like, I don't want to say you're playing looser, but it looks like you're playing more free, up tempo. I'm just 
trying to figure out a way to describe how you're playing under Peter DeBoer versus Rick Bonus. It looks like it's uh, a way to play this that's more fun for players. Is that accurate? Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. Had a lot of fun playing last year, right? You know, 41 I'm, goals. He pretty, yeah. did all right. No, yeah, I know. But, Jeff you know. is trying to go with the let's question to Robertson carves bonus. That's <laughs> yeah. what he's trying no, to do. No, I would do. never do that. I'm not but going no, I, for that. No, I'm not I had, going for that. I had a lot of fun last year. You know, I think uh, we gained that respect from our coach last year. That our line, you know, kind of uh, not really, you know, separate ourselves from doing the what the other lines are doing. But we kind of, you know, mm-hmm. branched out and uh, did some more creative things. But as far as this year, I think when Pete came in and what he wanted to do was just create a faster team. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, speed, like being faster up the ice or quicker in terms of physical uh, strengths, but as a team, just thinking faster, mm-hmm. you know, players get in the spots as quick as they can and move the puck up quickly. And so far, you know, we've got a lot more transition in and, you know, guys are enjoying it. Every coach has rules. One of the things Ovechkin talked about when Boudreaux was there was it became pretty clear that there were Boudreaux had some different rules offensively for Ovechkin and his line mates than anyone else. Did Bonus at all last year say, okay, your line, you can do some things differently because you're going well? I don't recall a moment when Bones came up and told us that. You know, it was kind of something that, you know, we knew last year we, we need to win. We need to create offense. We were struggling offensively as a team so as a line we just you know try to be creative and uh, especially you know you don't really see often one line staying together every game the whole season so I mean we played together for 70 I played 74 and Root missed mine missed the game so 72 games of the year that's from what I've heard from players it doesn't happen often right so it's kind of mm-hmm. an unheard of so you know we just had that sort of chemistry and Bowen's just you know kind of Obviously, he saw the results, so he wasn't going to get in the way. And but you know, that's just having the chemistry with the certain you know line mates and building that, and it worked well for us. Now, so this year, just in terms of DeBoer and rules that he has, as opposed to the rules that Rick had, either on or off the ice, what's different? I think everyone's trying to play the same, play faster. That's like that's really it. You know, move the puck up, control the puck at the blue lines. You know, you want to be a good forechecking team. Uh, I think that's what we always want to be. But if we can make a play on the blue line, I think that's something that is kind of more promoted this year throughout all four lines. And, uh, you know, you, you can notice if you look back on the video these past couple of games that more guys are starting to do that and um, trusting in their skills. And I'm sure that this gives them more confidence uh, to go out there and make plays and uh, go play hockey. Why does this line work? I'm always curious because... We know you, you got, you know, going back to when we all saw you in junior hockey, a ridiculous shot. The Joe Pavelski story has been well told, maybe the best tipper uh, in the entire NHL. He's got the, the hand-eye coordination like like few others. And Rupe Hins is an uh, emerging star. Why does this line work? Well, you know, there's I've been asked that question for a while, but if, if from a different perspective, you know, nobody really thinks about that. I would like to say we're one of the better Lions at breaking the puck out of the D zone. Pav's very intelligent. You know, he gets a puck on the wall. He can make a play, break mm-hmm. out the puck quicker. Roop can get a speed up the ice. We can get up the speed up the ice. You know, alternatively, I like to get break pucks out cleaner instead of just dumping it in and going after and get it. So mm-hmm. I think it all starts in the D zone because other than offensive draws and, you know, changing – a lot of it starts in the D zone and building that speed up the ice. So it starts there. And Pavs, you know, one of the best at help breaking that puck out. 
and then we get going north and then you know the neutral zone we have three skilled players on the ice yeah. just making plays and like i said 70 plus games last year this is the chemistry and just knowing where everyone's going to be you know it's hard to defend that and holding on to it at the blue line more yeah like on the entry yeah no i think we did that good amount last year as a line but like i said our team's really starting to put an emphasis in that and for me really i think i can have more ozone entries by myself um really do that but yeah you just get more creative off the rush create more Mm -hmm. offense off the rush all right jason i'm gonna allow you to put a player here on the referee's radar when you've got a head of steam who is the biggest cheater at holding you up illegally so that you can't get as free as you want to be who's the best at it you know i don't really think about going up the ice if you want to get like real specific, I think the biggest one is off draws and the offensive zone. You know, when you win the puck back and then yeah. you interfere with the guy so he can't go. Yeah. So casual picks? It is casual pick. It's, you know, never gets called. It's hard to get called. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, it's a big pick. <laughs> Babcock's Red Wings were the masters. I know yeah. exactly what you mean. It's That Red Wings team, they were the masters of that. You will lose a draw and especially on the power play, you know, you line up on the wall. Or inside, and more so on the wall because you're lined up against a you know big D. Yeah. And what they're running is either you know strong or low bump, where all the guy has to do on the wall is pick him, you know, just push him, make sure the other D gets the puck and rims it. That's the hardest thing. And so, who's the guy who does it best on you? I don't know about best. This wasn't last year, but I remember playing Detroit my first year in COVID year, and I remember uh, Mark Stahl was just. I just couldn't get around him, him or <laughs> him or or Chernak. I just couldn't. Oh, get, yeah. I just couldn't get around him. I was twenty. I was twenty one. I just. I was trying so hard to get. I just couldn't. Just so big and was interference. I don't know, but uh, it was interference. Yeah, I will say it is, but it never was called. So, but that was definitely. Uh, you know, when I was my rookie year, I was like, oh my god, like I got to learn how to get around these guys. And obviously, I mean, now I'm going to my third year. Uh, you learn how to kind of cheat this cheated and you know try to fake inside go around them mm-hmm. or cheat so hard inside to do that so there's there's there were ways to, to you know combat it but uh, when i was first year in the league i didn't know any better just try to put my head down and <laughs> fight for body position but uh, that was definitely kind of an eye-opener see how hard it is all right this has been too serious so far so here we go what is the deal with jason robertson and brussels sprouts Oh, jeez. Brussels sprouts. I hear you have a hatred for Brussels sprouts. That's Tom Holy right there. Yeah. (laughs) I cannot confirm or deny. Yeah. No, that was rival now with San Jose. Mm. Yeah. Big shot now. (laughs) No, he he doesn't run his uh, his football pool anymore. He couldn't. Yeah, it's too too big. But uh, I don't know if I said last year or might have been the year before, but uh, we always had the. the meals after the game at home, you know, we get it catered and it's all, it's in the, you know, to go box now. And I think it was last year. I think I still did it last year where, you know, the guys tell me like I'm filling out the forms or whatever. And the guys tell me, Oh, you know, it was a vegetable and, and meat and side or starch or whatever. And filling out and the guys, I see Brussels sprouts and I'm like, I can't eat Brussels sprouts or I don't enjoy it. I mean, you know, the guys. You know, they fill out, and on the Brussels sprouts, it says, like, steamed or um, whatever their, you know, special version of the Brussels sprouts is, are. 
the guys tell me that, okay, I guess it's good. You know, I tried it once, uh, the special way, whatever it was, <laughs> tried it once, I had it, I couldn't eat it. Problem was I never got it switched. So I always got the meal with Brussels sprouts every meal and I just wouldn't eat it. So, They're haunting you. No, that and kale. Kale Brussels sprouts are the biggest. Really? Yeah. I like kale. Kale chips. No, you don't like them? This leads into another story. It's a funny story, actually. So I was when I was 15, I was playing, and you probably, it was a GTHL. Uh, Dom Mills, right? Dom Mills, GTHL yeah. uh, finals or whatever. And we were playing the Marlies. And there was like a two-week break. Gosh, I don't know. It's called. Maybe it's like the Canada Olympics for like uh, 15 or you 14. They play. Yep. All the winter games. Winter games. Yes. They the do Canada it every winter. four years. Yes. The winter games. Okay. So that was my year. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't go. I was American, but uh, the Canadian. So there was a two week break in between uh, the finals, so, which is weird. But I remember, I think it was best of eight because it was, we went, we went the distance game eight, uh, but it was uh, game three and. I remember I uh, broke my like fifth metatarsal or metacarpal, whatever one's in your uh, pinky. And uh, then the two-week break came. So what I ended up doing is going home, mm-hmm. seeing everything and you know trying to get ready to play again. And I remember seeing the, the hand doctor in Detroit. And the guy's like, yeah, you know, you might have to wear a soft cast. cast hard cast, just hard oh, shell hard cast. Yeah, okay. And what you got to do is you got to uh, try to eat a lot of vitamins i think kale has vitamin uh i don't know whatever vitamins in kale mm-hmm. it's got a lot of iron yeah i don't know which one it is i don't want to say it and be wrong so whatever vitamins in kale <laughs> and it's like you eat a lot of it so what i'm doing is like you know eating a little bit you know just putting in a blender just with water just drinking kale <laughs> kale all the time to try to like speed up the the recovery or whatever was in my finger and I couldn't have anymore. It was so much kale all the time. <laughs> it was so bitter. But your body thanked you. Yeah, no, I did. It, I, you know, I ended up coming back and I, I didn't miss a game. So I came wow. out yeah. and played. But since then, you know, you know, I go to the restaurants and they have kale Caesar salads and I just I can't eat it. It's just so bitter. It's just so memories gross. of that two week gap. It was just horrible. Between playing was, Don Mills and the Marlies. <laughs> no, it was, that was, that was the worst. So kale is definitely up there. Okay, so while we're going back to that era uh, of Jason Robertson, I was told today that your family had a legendary RV that you would drive around in from tournament to tournament, team to team to team. What can you tell us about the Robertson Hockey RV? Yeah, well, you know, that was like 12 years ago when we were in LA. One rink in LA, you know, it's it's kind of like here, you know, the traffic's Brutal. You yep. know, it took us an hour to get from the airport to here today. <laughs> Welcome to uh, Toronto. Yeah. yeah. No, well, my brother knows. Mm-hmm. I lived here for a little bit. Yeah, so we had that and commuted back and forth doing homework in there and dress and drive, you know, getting dressed there because we'd be late. You know, you'd have to get yeah. dressed and uh, having dinner, you know, rotating kids in and out. So if one kid does practice. So this is all in the, R- all in the yeah. RV. Like yeah, this is, yeah. The air and out equipment, dinners, all of it on yeah, the Yeah, that was... Uh, that was pretty much what we did for practices because, you know, we'd get there at four o'clock, leave at eight or nine. And, you know, I'll tell you what the best thing was when, uh, and, you know, it's kind of like, it was really nice for my parents is when we'd have like a six or 7 a.m. game or, yeah. or practice. I think maybe game, eight o'clock games and we'd leave early and they would set up uh, the bed in the uh, in the RV 
so when you're driving, you know, the bed set up. Because yep. it's not the like bed you think of because the RV was old. It was a couch that folded into a bed. Okay, yeah. So it wasn't, there was no bedroom. It was just that. And they'd set that up for us and, you know, get the blankets. We're sleeping, go to the rink at like eight <laughs> in the morning, you know. And that was, uh, and our poor mom and dad are just driving, you know, we're back there sleeping. I'm getting ready for the game, but that was definitely a good moment. Uh, but my, they have a new RV now, really. Tell us about the new RV. Yeah, so they... Uh, they Less got, smelly equipment in it, I'm guessing. No, no equipment in there, obviously. Yep. But uh, no, they got rid of the one RV about 12 years ago. They bought a new one last year. Um, and they've been, you know, touring all over That's awesome. the United That's States. Awesome. Yeah, so they uh, they haven't yet this year because they've had dogs. But when the dogs are ready, they'll be uh, taking their RV from Los Angeles to Dallas you know, they'd go from Dallas to Detroit, you know, they, yeah. this is a 42 footer. So it's a significant upgrade over the, the Ooh, small wow, one we nice. had earlier. So, and that one has a bedroom, you know, TVs everywhere, you know, captain's chairs, you know, that one's like Sweet. decked out. Yeah. So that's during the COVID year, they bring it to Florida, Tampa, mm-hmm. Dallas. Uh, it's a little harder now cause they have dogs and everything, yep. but, um, you know, when when they were doing that, I we took the RV from Dallas to Las Vegas after the season one year, nice, and then drove that home. So that uh, they still have it, and you know they're a full on. You know, it looks like a truck, so they're full on truckers now. My dad had that one beard, <laughs> the long beard, so he was no way. yeah. So when uh, they'd go to like truck stops because you need to fill up, you sure. Know, all the truckers would be there, see my dad, and they see the RV, and you know, they give him the head wave and everything. So. <laughs> No, they they have the big one now, and they're still they're still traveling. Awesome. So they know they enjoy it. So um, do you ever drive it? No, when we drove it to Las Vegas, I you know it was too big. It was it's forty two feet long. You know, <laughs> uh, my dad does the majority. My mom might do the, the long stretches, but mm-hmm. uh, you know I wasn't comfortable doing it. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think I could handle it. It's just, <laughs> it's too big. There's too many you know buttons everywhere and whatnot. So. You might need to take a class on that. Seriously. <laughs> so I, I mean that I think that would be really cool to drive. Like my family's talked. I, I don't know if it would be a forty-two footer, but my family's talked about doing that just across Canada, and I I'm really excited to do it. I don't know if a forty-two footer is in my future, but I really want to try something like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, I don't think they can do it. They can't come to Canada. It's it's too cold here. And to the snow, they couldn't deal with the snow. But mm-hmm. no, they've driven from Florida, Los Angeles. Driven Los Angeles to Detroit took them five days, so they they put a lot of miles on that RV. So it's and they enjoy it. So they kind of find their you know something they enjoy together. My mom and dad just drive with their dogs, and you know they'll pull aside and for the night put the TV up, watch our games. You know they got the the satellite yep. going, the streaming, everything, and you know watch the games, enjoy it. You know get up and you know keep moving. So. Did they, did they? I'm curious here whether you know it was you in Kingston. I guess you finished in Niagara or Nick in Peterborough. They follow you around junior hockey yeah, cities too? I think my dad made it to every junior rink except like three or four. So he's been around. I mean, Michigan's easy because we yeah, lived yeah. in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, never went out to Ottawa. It's too far. K-Town. Not that far from Kingston though. No, not, but not it's two bad. hours the other way, like yeah, farther. Yeah. So it's like you, you go there for one game as opposed to, you know, you right. go to Hamilton. You know, sure. it's right around here. So... But, you know, they watched us playing because I was Kingston, Nick was in Peterborough, and we do back-to-back home-and-homes. Yep. So they got to do that and then, you know, choose whoever the third game is because normally it's a three-and-three. 
Um, Whichever so, kid's hot. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> then they'd come watch me, right? So, no. But, um, you know, they follow, they follow us a lot in junior. It was a lot easier than in now because uh, yeah. you got to fly from country to country now. But um, Yep. If the Robertsons are at home and there's a Dallas game on and there's a Toronto game on and Nick is up, which game gets preference on television? Well, no, we had that one. We have one big TV in uh, Los Angeles, and we had, my mom and dad bought a small TV. And uh, I think now, because um, well, when Nick plays, I think he gets the bigger TV because it starts earlier, right? Because mm-hmm. he's on the East Coast. So I think that's what happen. <laughs> but I mean, if they start at the same time, I think. I think my dad would put me, you know, me up there because I mean, you should see the smile on your face right now. No, as you're I saying mean, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I don't want to say it, but you know, there's more, you're gonna see more minutes, right? <laughs> no, I'm mean, just not by much, but I mean, you know, and hopefully Nick gets to that point where mm-hmm. it's a lot harder, but uh, you know, and he probably will. So yeah, but for for right now, it's it's probably that. Let me pick up on that. I would imagine that your parents would have thought about this. I wonder if you would as well. I mean, you're both playing in the NHL at the same time. The idea of you guys one day playing together, like everyone's got, you know, every player's got. Okay, I, I want to check this box. Things that I've that I've done. The first goal, the first game, the first like whatever. And you get a list of things you want to accomplish. At what point does playing with my brother? in the NHL, you know, sort of fit on your hierarchy of things that I want to do? Uh, you know, it's actually never really come about, you know, it's... Uh, you never thought about no, it? No, not really. You know, it's it's a business, right? It's everything has to align right. Most players don't really get to choose where they want to play when they're young, especially. Yeah. And um, it's definitely, when I was in junior, I thought, oh, because he got drafted, he could have got drafted at Kingston. And I never really thought about it. So you'd rather play against them than with them? You know, with would be cool too, but it's just you never think about it being a possibility. You don't really see that many brothers in the NHL, you know, playing together. Mm-hmm. The only one I could think of at the top of my head was the Sedins, and they got drafted one two or two one two uh, two three yeah two three yeah two three yeah. that's what I meant. Um, so it doesn't happen often. Yep. Uh, but you know, if we did, I think that would be pretty neat. You know, I'd just be feeding him and you know finding him. But, you know, no, no, he's finding no. you. I don't know. He's got a rocket. You know, he's he's he got a, he's got a rocket. You know, I think he has a harder shot. He might. Yeah. Hey, what's with the Robertson boys in the shot? Yeah, I don't know. It's, I think all the reps growing up, all That's the shooting. Yeah, all the shooting in our house in our basement. We set up a tarp mm-hmm. in the in the basement, and when we bought the house, it was uh, a room that uh, the previous owner would put his own like car, like store car in there. So it was like uh, not cement floor, but uh, hard. Uh, I don't even know what it was, but it was a hard floor, mm-hmm. and you just you could shoot pucks straight off of that, and uh, drywall, and you know some glass facing into it, so you could look into it. And yeah, um, I remember ripping up all the drywall, you know, just doing stupid stuff, putting holes in the wall, sure. you know, golf balls, lacrosse ball, everything into there, and all those reps really. So you would shoot golf balls too? When we used to play floor ball, we'd have a net. When we were stick handling, you know, we'd screw around and with the golf ball, and we. would you know, we were kids. We'd shoot, shoot at the net, and the golf ball is too small for the net, so it would go right through it, mm-hmm. and then it hit the drywall and create holes. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, we weren't shooting golf balls, but, you know, you're screwing around, you know, yeah. doing deeks yeah. and stuff, and that'd go right through the netting and right in the drywall, and, you know, my mom and dad weren't happy, but it was already, it was, it's too late. Mm-hmm. It's already too late, so, um, 
were you kids that would also do like the the yager wrist curls with the the stick and the weight on the string to strengthen the the wrists? No, I never really did that. I think more so hockey stick handling, Just stick Just handling handles, for a long yeah. time, one handed stuff, you know, all that stuff, and so many reps, so many hours that we did growing up. Let me throw a dart here, there, because I wonder about that with like the one hand and the one hand shooting. Do you ever see the Alex Kovalev video? Yeah, were you one of the guys that had that? Because that was pretty rare. Like when that came out, everyone was like. Wow, this now it's all over the place and Instagram and everything. But yeah. like when that when that DVD came out, guys were like, "Whoa, this is like the coolest thing I've ever seen." One hand, it's such cool. I mean, you don't really see it often ever in a game. None. But then there's Kovalev just like yeah. snapping no, it in the no, corner. No. I was actually hand. doing it today. Me and uh, Denny, Dennis uh, Guriano were doing that in practice today. Oh yeah, yeah, we were trying it out. It's actually a strange coincidence because we were just doing it today. And we never did before. And he told me, oh, Robo, can you lift the puck up with one hand? And, uh, you know, we were comparing and he couldn't get it up a couple feet. Okay, but you could do it? Maybe three feet. So <laughs> It's not bad. No, it's it's definitely hard. You know, you need that wrist strength and pretty impressive, you know. So I wanted to ask you, Jason, just, you know, what you went through in the offseason working on a new contract. And I remember one player telling me, he said, he was about the same age you were. You're 23 now. And he just said, you prepare your whole life to play hockey and the business part comes in. He says, you don't realize everything that you go through until you go through it. You don't understand what it's like to be discussed on social media, what it's like to want to play, but no, you have to do the business side, how much advice you get from all sorts of different people. What was the hardest thing for you of the last few weeks and months? I'd say, uh, I wouldn't say waiting, but just getting the point where, you know, like it could bleed in the season, really. You know, if it could get long enough, you don't want to miss games. Yeah. Get behind the eight ball here. If you don't, if you miss games, it's going to be tough, you know, to come back in. I know a guy who, one of the guys who did it last year, you know, signed at the beginning of the year and then had to miss, you know, a week or whatever to start playing. And then, then it starts, you know, could it tumble into the season, you know. But, you know, at the end of the day, you had to understand that that's a possibility. And, you know, when I'm playing now, it's like I wanted to be here. I don't even know what I was thinking. But, you know, at the time, it's like so it is a business and uh, I had a lot of help going into it. So a lot of people helped me along the way. What was some of the best advice you got and from who? Yeah, well, no, Pat told me. Pat Persson. Yeah, yeah, Pat told me, you know, Jay, this could be – you know, a thing that goes into camp. He's had some clients who's had that. Yeah. You know, but he told me this in like May. So, <laughs> and yeah. you were like, no way. Like, yeah. Well, at the time, it's like, yeah, but I don't think like, <laughs> like we're talking this is May. That's like three months ahead, right? You're like thinking probably really three months, but it did. So, but he told me to stay ready. I skated all summer with two other players, my brother being one of them, and a guy, uh, Ch- Jan Chaffield, he's on the Carolina right yeah, now. Jalen yeah. Chaffield. For so, sure. yeah. We we were only two skating. We had two goalies, a uh, couple college goalies. When they left, the goalies left early for college, and then uh, Chatty left maybe the first week of September, and then Nick left like the second week of September. That's when it's like, okay, you know, by myself now, like you know, <laughs> what am I gonna do? You know, how am I gonna stay ready? Uh, it's hard to do drills. You can't you can't emulate you know yep. game drills by yourself. You can barely do it with three guys. You know, uh, once. Uh, I got the opportunity to skate with the program that kind of, you know, gave me a little bit of, okay, yeah. you know, I got to get back into battling drills, you know, 
have been in D zone in five and three months, right? <laughs> no, you're serious. You don't train to be in the D zone, right? <laughs> That's right. Most guys train skill stuff and, you know, shooting and, and making plays, but you yeah. don't train, you know, especially as a four, a winger, you know, you don't train, you know, battling drills by yourself. You need other guys, you need mm-hmm. other people to be out there with you. So that was definitely the hardest training by myself, but you know, I had my skills coach still with me and, you know, still doing all the work and I appreciate it. You know, Tommy Nino did all the things with me. You know, we still showed up at the rink every day, you know, trying to get some uh, all over ice in. So it was definitely, uh, definitely good. But, you know, that was that was definitely hard being by myself. Did you did you ever have a point where you said, let's end this? And someone said to you, Jason, you cannot do that. Like, because that, that I had one player who told me he once told his agent, I can't do this anymore. Like, just get me in there. And the agent said, trust me. Like, did that ever happen? No, not really. Um, my dad was a big influence. Yes, to I understand it. your dad. Yeah, yes. so yeah. he uh, he's a lawyer, right? Yeah, he's an attorney. Mm-hmm. He, he does a lot of different things. Um, it's kind of in his business. He does a lot of work for clients. Who he's worked with agents before. He's worked with owners of movies and stuff. He's like, you know, he, he so he's done it before, and he knows how this stuff works. You know, it's it's hockey, but you know, it's a business at the end. Yeah, so it's similar. But he always told me, you know, he told me, stay patient, always stay consistent in what you want. You know, at the end of the day, if, with a week left, you know, we thought it was the best thing, best case scenario to get it done and make the season opening game. So where will you have to buy dinner now on the road? I'm sure Ben and Sagan and Pavelski have told you your celebratory dinner will be here. Where is it? Well, it's kind of weird because uh, I'm not the only restricted free agent on our team who signed this year. That's signed right, this thing. Jake. So, yes. Um, you know, I was thinking uh, we'll see what Jake does first. There was there, he was there first. We'll see what he does. Uh, I'm not sure, but I'll definitely take out the crew from last year uh, to dinner. Maybe an East Side Mario's or <laughs> Swiss Chalet. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We're 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 in we're in Canada, so <laughs> what? Uh, I I'm curious as well. Like, I would imagine some of the the older players, whether it's Ben or Suter, would have sort of called you during this and said, like, you know, where are you at? Are we close? Like, we got a real good team here. Like, what are those conversations like with some of the veterans on the team? Uh, I think all of them called me uh, or, or texted, gave me a text. Yeah. Um, you know, they understood the situation. You know, Jamie Ben missed five games this season, yep. nine years ago, eight nine years ago. So mm-hmm. he he had a, a similar situation, except it went further in. So, yeah. but they definitely, you know, they call me and you know want to know how it's going. And but they're team players, you know, they're veterans. You know, they you know they're kind of like you know team, you know, player first. You know, you know, take care of yourself. You know, mm-hmm. make sure you get you know what you deserve. Um, so that's they're just great people and. Um, they understand it's a business for both sides, but um, they definitely, um, you know, wanted what's best for me. And then for the team, obviously, they uh, they knew it was going to get done. What was the moment where, and maybe it was Pat Brisson, maybe it was your dad, you heard, it's done? It was kind of, uh, it happened really fast. Um, they were playing in Colorado that night. Uh, it was probably, you know, 11 o'clock at night, our time, we were, we were in Detroit and they were in uh, Colorado, so it was two hours, you know, in front of us. So it was only nine, and you know, mm-hmm. it's eleven o'clock, and you know, they're, they're, they finally settled on. We finally settled some, on something, and they're like, you know, we thinking it's eleven o'clock our time. Like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll get all the stuff done tomorrow. 
but they're like no we want to get this done now like we're really anxious we really want to get this done and then we ended up my dad and i end up you know staying up for the next hour two hours finally finalizing everything and you know once it was done it was uh it was also one so it was hard to get really energetic you know i still had to get up and skate the next day but um yep it was definitely a relief and you know happy to be back so austin matthews scored 60 last year 60 plus and morgan riley tells colby armstrong he can score 70 and matthews like rolls his eyes at just the idea you scored 40 do you say now i'm gonna get to 50 you know i'm just i don't know i, I all i want to do is bury more chances <laughs> Uh, just score more goals. Um, cre- I think create more chances too. That's what I want to do. Uh, you create more scoring chances. It's obviously going to have a better, you know, chance to score goals. You know, maybe get a couple empty netters. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. It's, it's something that I'm not really you practice that in the off season. By the way, working on those empty netters. You know, it's something you do have to practice because <laughs> I mean, if I could get another story where midway of the year. Joe Pavelski is burying him from the blue line. And I asked Pav, like, you practice this? Like, is it a dead center and pressure all around you? But no, in terms of scoring, you know, 50, it's not really one of the things I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to. You know, I already had uh, had a good year last year. I'm not in a contract year anymore. So, I mean, what I'm looking forward to do is keep performing at the top level, continue mm-hmm. what uh, we're doing right now, help the team win offensively and, I think we're going to all take a big stride um, in a lot of good ways. So it's uh, it's it's very exciting if, if you're a Dallas Stars fan or, and a player. So, And just a final one for me. You said last year when we interviewed you that Ben Bishop was the worst fantasy football GM in the Dallas yeah. Stars. <laughs> now that he is a Buffalo Sabre, who is the worst fantasy football GM in the Dallas Stars? Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not in the group this year, but I have heard – some rumors from from the league. Um, <laughs> uh, I heard that Jake Ottinger has everyone available for trade. He's, I think, he's on the bottom, uh, willing to blow his team up. Goalies, man. He's Goalies. one. Of, Jake's one of the guys who are like, you know, when the team's really bad, he's like, okay, I'll give my player A for a hundred bucks or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Start selling his players. So he's, uh, I think, he's struggling right now. But it's long season. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I think he was last last year. So, so it's like he's last last year and he's last this year again. He like that, yeah, that's almost impossible because you get the chance at the best players, right? No, I mean, it's just consistent, you know? <laughs> Maybe some people aren't built for fantasy football and that's okay. <laughs> you know, it's you can be a good golfer. You could be uh, one of the best goalies in the NHL, but when it comes to fantasy football and managing a team, it's just not his thing. <laughs> And uh, I sit behind him on the card table on the card table on the plane, so I get a good view of it. Um, I could tell you he plays very inconsistent. You know, I sometimes try to help him on the plane, uh, give him some pointers, but yeah. uh, really just watching out of pure entertainment to see what he does. <laughs> you know, like I have to say this: like I, I play a lot of cards with buddies, and my big fault as a card player is that I don't want to fold. Like when I play, I want to play, and it's cost me before because I just I like to chase. But I have one friend, and he's a kind of a wild player. And there's a guy who sits next to him, and I always know when it's a disaster because the guy sitting next to him is like looking on his face, like, "What is this guy doing?" So, do you think any Dallas Stars players are taking Ottinger's money because they see the look on your face and say he's got a terrible hand, and Robertson can't believe it? 
No, I mean, I respect the game too much to do that. <laughs> I couldn't do that. Sometimes if they did look at me, throw a curveball, but I don't, th- I don't think they really look at me because they know, uh, you know, who knows? You know, Jake's inconsistent. Will he listen to me or not? So, uh, but I wouldn't say he's bad. He's just inconsistent. So, but I mean. I like how you tried to give him a soft landing. Yeah. No, I, I mean, really, I really admire that. No, no, I'm serious. He's just, he's a good player sometimes. So you don't know what he's doing, but uh, I'll tell you what, it's, it's got, it's a long hockey season. A lot of hours on the plane, in Dallas especially. It's yep. kind of kind of kind of far from some places, but uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see if he improves. This has been great. Thanks for uh, spending a lot of time with us today. We really appreciate it. Good luck this season. Yeah, thank you. Go fifty. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you. We really hope you enjoyed that interview with Jason Robertson, and he was really gracious with his time. The team had just landed. Elliot, to your point earlier. Now, the team had just arrived at the hotel, and the first thing that Robertson did was sit down with, you know, uh, two doofuses uh, to go through some hockey questions. So thank you, Jason, for making yourself available. Good luck to you this season, and good luck to the Dallas Stars. Taking us out as a four-piece band from Dublin, Gilliband just dropped their fourth full-length record, and it's a goodie. From Most Normal, here's Gilliband with eight fivers on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Away!